This week on Young Nostalgia, we try to figure out why our download queue on LimeWire isn't more than it is. Let's take a look. Hello and welcome to Young Nostalgia. This is the second part of the boot of the bootleg audio and bootleg recordings of music. The second part, we're going to be talking about uh, the 80s and 90s to the present um, with the introducing of cassettes, CD-ROMs, and then the internet. I got this cat. I got a cat butt on my mic. All right, I think she just got. To I just see the cat walking in front of the camera the whole time, and its all, tail is all wrapped up around Nolan's face. I love it. The best thing was that I came into the studio and I closed the door, and Michelle was like, "Do you still want her in there?" Including our cat, and I was like, "Oh yeah, she's usually fine." Ten seconds in, she jumps up right in front of the mic. Great. I didn't even hear Thanks, or Amber. see the cat at all until as soon as we hit that record button. <laughs> and then she's immediately up on your desk. I love it. Absolutely love it. I'm glad I'm glad that happened though because I realized my intro to the show was kind of dull. It wasn't necessarily a good uh this week on Young Nostalgia this time around. I I ran out of things. I was kind of pressed for time. I didn't know what to say. I got nervous. I know I think that was it was a good one, but I think it's going to reach a small subset of our generation and maybe uh, maybe people just a little bit older than us. Okay, because LimeWire. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's going to reach a, a very, very small, small group. But those people who do know it, they're going to they're gonna know exactly what we're talking about. Right. FrostWire, it's all the same thing. But anyway, <laughs> thank you guys so much for joining us again for another week of Young Nostalgia. Ben is beside me, and we are currently uh, podcasting through a... I, I got nothing. Ben, how you doing, big guy? <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that. I'm like, is there gonna be like this big build up to something? Well like, see, oh. I, I was trying to I was trying to come up with some <laughs> weird platform of like video sharing software that wasn't necessarily legal, but I didn't know I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. So I was no. gonna say YouTube, but then YouTube isn't illegal. Uh and then I don't know. So uh, maybe maybe some weird like risque chat room, and we're podcasting well, uh, we through could, it. Doesn't necessarily have to be like an like an underground sharing site. It could just be like uh, like Daily Mail or something like super obscure. <laughs> oh yeah, something that like yeah, w- where we have the only last two working licenses of AOL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we are two of the three people that still use it. <laughs> <laughs> how you been big guy uh not too bad not too bad how you been not too bad making fun of your tan lines or sunburnt lines oh, which is absolutely goodness. amazing oh ben my wears goodness wears a snapback outside and wears it backwards <laughs> so he has just this like perfect kind of oval-ish red spot on his forehead but it's like also <laughs> off center a little bit i'm not sure how it got off center that doesn't that kind of boggles my mind because i was definitely wearing the hat i mean it was it was backwards, but it was straight. Right, right. So I don't really understand that. Um, but yeah, I got a, a definite white. Like my, I am super burnt. I am toasty, and uh, I got a white line right above my eyes, and then just a big red blotch off center on my forehead. And it happens to be off center towards the part in my hair. So like, if it was yeah. the other side, it'd be covered up most of the time. But right. Oh my no. god, I love it. It's <laughs> I absolutely love it. <laughs> Gosh, 
man, not much we can talk about life today. I mean, I just thought we could jump into it and finish out this show. Pretty, pretty uh, small show with just rounding out this uh, this topic, and we can get to work. Let's do it. All right, man. We're gonna kick it off with the 1980s of bootlegged music. <laughs> Here, let me scroll up a few pages to get to our actual show notes where we actually start. The 1980s. So when the 80s came around, it saw an increase in use of audio cassettes and videotapes for the distribution of bootlegged recordings. As the affordability of private dubbing equipment made a production of multiple copies a lot easier. Rather than a reel-to-reel thing, it was a lot easier to kind of copy and mass-produce these bootlegged cuts on cassette players as well as VHS tapes um, from concerts themselves. So cassettes were also smaller, easier to ship, kind of conceal uh, with the bootleg trade and could be sold or traded more affordably than the larger uh, kind of longer process of pressing vinyl. So an honor system actually began to take place where the trading of cassettes became more popular and would actually spread throughout the pub, the punk subcultures kind of where it really kicked off. So this honor system is something where it's like when people received tapes of bootleg music, they expect their fellow traders and their friends to make more copies and keep on passing it on throughout the community. So really, it was just kind of a big spider web where one person started it. They said, here, now you have the master tape. Make more, duplicate it, and send it out. Right. Just kind of, <laughs> as you were talking about uh, the first time you said like an honor system to all of this, I kind of cracked up a little bit because this is kind of an, it's kind of one of those honor among thieves kind of thing. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so it's like, well, you know what? You know, we're doing something we shouldn't be doing anyway, but we might as well be good good to each other about it, you know? Right. Right. Like, it, it's not illegal if we <laughs> just that, pass it that on just to our cracks friends. Me up. I know. I absolutely... Right. I love it. Right. It, you know, it's perfectly fine if you're stealing, you know, copyrighted music, but, you know, you're, you're a dirtbag if you don't pass it on. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Hey man, I'll give you a ride home from school. I got a present for you when you drop me off. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know that out of all the things that probably gets me the most like, (laughs) right. Or, or I love it where, you know, I feel like in our kind of preservation and collective mindset, if we bought an actual official released, uh, album i would just make copies mm-hmm. of that album so in case my cassette player ate it i would have plenty others look at that it's actually <laughs> oh, yeah, a contingency you know, plan right no that that's actually a really good idea and i'm sure that's something that people did because um cassettes as well as uh eight tracks which i kind of I'll for the all intents purposes of this show I'll kind of put into the the same the same scope um they do wear out over time even if a, a player doesn't eat them they do eventually wear out just from being run through a zillion times and right. you know that would have been a really good idea is to okay you bought this I have this now even if you don't plan on uh you know distributing it between friends and other fans if you were to bring it home, immediately make a copy, put the original one back in the case, keep it on the shelf, and then you just play the crap out of the copy that you made. It's no big deal if it gets eaten or 
you know, eventually wears out because you have a brand new pristine, the original copy left on the shelf. Right. I love it. Not Man, that anybody we didn't should do live that. Back in the eighties, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't just don't. <laughs> but if you were to do uh, it, right, that's, that's how it's a pretty be good done. idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a while, star- stalls at major music gatherings such as the Glastonbury Festival sold mass copies of bootleg soundboard recordings, and yo know, more like more often than not, it was actually of the bands that literally played only a matter of hours beforehand. So they would just rip the audio from the soundboard of the band that played two hours beforehand, and then you can buy that bootleg music of what they just did. Absolutely incredible. Um, officials soon began to uh, counteract this illegal activity at the shows, um, and actually started making raids on these like kind of disguised stalls selling these bootleg music. And by the end of the 80s, the number of festival bootlegs subsequently dwindled just because of, oh no, our secret's out. They can kind of see our cover now. It's going to be hard to kind of mass produce these things at a festival so you know i feel like once they got hint of what's going on when there's a big line at this weird one-off tent and not the official merch table i feel like that's a sign (laughs) yeah that's true i mean hey we can uh there's the the there's the booth that's actually sanctioned and you know stuff caused this price and then you start seeing like four times as many people walking up to other booths all combined and and you know you 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 have to kind of wonder what's going on like you know it's gotta be gotta be selling something on the on the dl right absolutely um one of the most also i just wonder what kind of in they would have no 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 i was i was just gonna say what kind of what kind of in would you have a pretty good in you'd have to have to be able to pull directly from the the soundboard right i mean you'd have to know somebody on the crew Oh, yeah. And, you know, that would be extremely sketchy for that person as well. You know, absolutely. I I don't know exactly if you'd be routing it out to the stall, maybe where they're making the copy or if it would be being recorded right there. But either way, it seems like that would be pretty easy to uh, pick up on if somebody was, you know, vigilant. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. They they, they didn't go too much into detail Mm -hmm. about how it was done, but. I can only imagine the kind of weird schemes right. and ways they could have. I mean, people, people, people always find a way somehow. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> One of the most critically acclaimed bootlegs from the 1980s is the Black Album by Prince. This album was actually um, very conventional. Major, sorry. Let me restart that. The album was to have been released as a conventional <laughs> major label release back in 1987, but on December 1st, immediately before the release, Prince decided to just pull the album and scrap it, and he required that 500,000 copies be destroyed. Subsequently, obviously, it'd be hard to get every single copy that was ever pressed and released, so a few advanced copies actually had been shipped already, and then they were used to create the bootlegs. And this actually eventually led the album's official release just because, hey, the music's already out there, might as well stamp it and uh, start to make some loyalties and and money off of this bad boy. So, kind of crazy. It is crazy, and it's also crazy that, you know, that it would, he would pull it last minute with, you know... 500,000 copies already, you know, ready to hit the shelves. And then it's like, hey, uh, we're not going to do this anymore. Like all of the planning and all of the work that went into it just to to pull it at the very last minute. That seems pretty crazy to me. Right. Maybe Prince was like, wait a second. 
I want to bootleg my own music so I make money off of everything. <laughs> so he was like, pull them all. I'll make the bootlegs. <laughs> yeah. And you'd be, you, uh, of course, I'm sh- sure there's advertising going into all that beforehand. So you're getting oh, people yeah. really, really hyped up too. And you're going to get that much, that many more people um, on the bootleg bandwagon. Right. Or imagine like the singles that he released up to that point throughout that year before the album dropped. So crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, that would towards be crazy. The end That'd be genius. Ne- yeah, honestly, it would. <laughs> Look at that. Look at us make, making these great ideas. Uh, towards, <laughs> towards, towards <laughs> see, I thought you were going to say something there, but but you end up didn't. So I'm going to keep on going <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> towards the end of the 1980s, the ultra rare track series of bootlegs featuring different audio cuts from the Beatles um, showed that the digital remastering onto compact disc could actually produce a high quality sound product that was comparable with official studio releases. So now people are starting to understand that the optical media of compact discs actually has good quality and this is where we transition into the 1990s and mr ben somsack is going to take over the microphone here in the studio and grace your ears with the amazing smooth voice of mr ben ben take it away (laughs) following the success of the ultra rare tracks the 1990s saw an increased production of bootleg cds including reissues of shows that had been recorded decades previously um, and this is where we get to um, some interesting kind of exports in the the bootleg community. Um, in particular, country companies in Germany and Italy exploited the more relaxed copyright laws in those countries by pressing large numbers of CDs and including catalogs of other titles in the inlays, making it easier for fans to find and order shows directly. Um, I do have to take a minute there and talk about... <laughs> I think it, it's weird that they talk about that they use the terminology pressing of CDs, which is you know <laughs> right. generally. I mean, I know what they mean, but <laughs> I mean the actual like to say pressing. You know, you obviously think of a vinyl, um, but CDs you de- you just be you know writing right into yeah. a disc, um, right? And 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 it's so cool but to it's just see kind of, kind funny of how, how they talk about it. Right. And, and I think it's cool how they kind of circumvent the man by having the major companies actually doing the bootlegging is outside the U.S. where copyright laws are a little bit more slack. I mean, you see that with nowadays. I mean, obviously, we'll get into it with the Internet. But like, you know, VPNs or IP addresses are actually be routed to somewhere outside of the country where mm-hmm. the copyright laws are a little bit more lax. And then, yeah, you can actually download that game or download this album without any big repercussions there at least but obviously the end result is who's downloading it right then and there so they could track it back to you but it's cool to see that that was even in effect back in the day with more physical releases right and it's not even uh it's not just the fact that they have more lax copyright laws it's also you know it's going to be that much harder to track somebody down kind of like what you're talking about i guess with you know the modern the internet with vpns and stuff you know, to to catch some who the to catch who's actually doing it would be that much harder, and it would also be that much harder to do anything about it. I mean, you'd be talking about going through different uh, government agencies across across borders and extradition and that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, it would be exponentially harder to do anything about it. Absolutely. <clears throat> 
Um, so very similar to the to the more lax laws in Germany and Italy, um, relaxed copyright laws in Australia meant that most serious legal challenge to unauthorized releases were made on the grounds of trademark law um, by Sony Music Entertainment in 1993. Um, and that's kind of what we were talking about is it takes somebody that it takes somebody really, really big to make anything happen, you know, across uh, international borders. Um, yeah. And this is kind of funny, too. Um, court findings were in favor of allowing the release of unauthorized recordings that were clearly marked as unauthorized. So, That's crazy. I've, I feel like they're trying to appeal <laughs> where, where, to, the, to like the authentic people where they're like, oh, this isn't actually their music, you know? I want to go with their music, so they're going to steer away from bootlegs and try to go with the official license stuff. But obviously... If people want it, they're going to get it the most easiest, cheapest way possible. Right. So it, it it's basically like slapping. It's like saying, uh, hey, you know, what you're doing is illegal, but we're not going to worry about it if you let people know that it's illegal. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just kind of weird to me. I mean, I, I guess I totally understand what you were saying about, you know, letting letting the real fans know like, hey. You know, it's it's you know, it's not that big of a deal. Just got to let people know what's actual recording and what's not so they can make a decision. But it just it kind of seems like a just a weird band aid. And I guess we'll talk about that here in a minute as well. Um, the updated G.A.T.T. or the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade of 1994 soon closed this so-called protection gap in all three aforementioned countries effective the 1st of January, 1995. So, I mean, it's not, it, it was kind of a, a blanket cover, covering of tracks, you know, a Band-Aid of sorts, um, but it was several years later that loophole was was fixed. Um, it just seems weird that that would even, you know, that that would even be a loophole to begin with. It seems like that could be a pretty obvious flaw in any sort of law. Right, and people are going to exploit that to its fullest. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. <clears throat> um, so at this time in history, uh, the mid to especially late 90s, the internet was starting to grow rapidly in popularity. And Nolan and I were talking about, the little bit th- uh, talking about this a little bit before the show. Um, so as the internet increased in popularity there began to be a huge uh, influx of bootleg review sites um, where the quality control of bootlegs became really, really scrutinized, even more than we talked about in the uh, 70s and the 60s and 70s. Um, Because, you know, all it took was one or two negative reviews um, and then it would seriously affect the sales of that bootlegged album. Cause all, every, you know, everybody was talking about, it. they knew they could tell exactly what album was of lower quality. They could look at, you know, the easily they could upload album art. So it'd be easily identifiable as, Hey, stay away from that. Cause it's kind of crappy quality. Um, and because of that, there seemed to be kind of a boom in overall, uh, you know, quality of, the recordings and it wasn't just the recordings. It was kind of a, an overall user experience. Um, bootlegs began to increase in size often with 
multi-CD packages becoming common. Um, in 1990, for example, in 1999, a Ford CD set was released containing three and a half hours of recording sections for the Beach Boys' Good Vibrations, spanning seven months. Um, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit before the show, how odd it is that, you know, hey, uh, this whole internet thing is starting to get a little bit bigger. Let's start making review sites where we can talk about all the, you know, hard copy bootleg albums that are out. You know, little did they uh-huh. know that it would soon turn into just a giant, you know, people weren't talking about, they just, you just upload it and you can download it, you know? Right, right. And, and <laughs> so like you guys are of, definitely using the internet wrong. Right, right, <laughs> right. And with introductions of uh, new, new media formats like CD, yeah, the internet's around, but not necessarily the conversion of audio files and MP3. So with the internet, with the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like step by step where now they're talking about like, okay, watch out for this label of bootleg music, not good quality. But they also like each open up a wide array of how like big it is kind of what you were talking about where with vinyl you have a very very limited amount of time pressed on both sides to make the vinyl music Mm -hmm. you know like you're limited to like 45 minutes but with cds you can reach anywhere up to an hour to an hour and a half depending on song size so it's like even even the media itself can hold more songs and more audio as the days go on. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of crazy um, the amount that bootleg music is just ramped up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and not only is it... Uh, they're just a overall denser denser media format in general. And you have the smaller size, easier to ship. Yep. Um, <clears throat> like you said, get, being able to pack way more way more content onto a single disc than, you know, even, even cassettes and, and vinyl. <clears throat> right. So the tightening of laws <clears throat> continued to increase. <clears throat> wow. Excuse me. The tightening of laws and increased enforcement by police on the behalf of the British phonographic industry or the BPI recording industry association of America, the RIAA and other industry groups often for Peripheral issues such as tax evasion <laughs> gradually drove the distribu- <laughs> distributors for uh, of for-profit vinyl and CD bootlegs further underground. Physical bootlegging largely shifted to countries with laxer copyright laws, with the results distributed through existing underground channels, open market sites such as eBay and other specialized websites. Um, and you know this is it's. Pretty much kind of like we talked about before. It's as there's nothing you can really do to make people not want to get stuff for free. I mean, that was a, I guess that's kind of a horrible roundabout way of saying that. It's like people are <laughs> always going to find a way to not want to pay money for something or pay less money for something or not give credit to the original creator. Right. And you it's do just, enough research on it, you know, you're you're going to pick a product that you know you'll pay less money on and still get just as good as quality. Right. Kind of like we talked about before, the late 1990s saw an increase in the free trading of digital bootlegs, sharply decreasing the demand for and the profitability of physical bootlegs. So this is kind of, it's the very late 90s um, that we really see kind of a a boom in the online trading rather than just the, the review sites. 
The rise of audio formats such as MP3 and real audio combined with the ability to share files between computers via the internet made it simpler for bootleg collectors to exchange recordings. The arrival of Napster in 1999, which I believe we have talked about on other shows before. Indeed, um, good sir. Mm-hmm, made it easy to share bootlegs <laughs> between a large, a large computer network. Um, older analog recordings were converted to digital format. Tracks from bootleg CDs were ripped to computers, to computer hard disks, and new material was created with digital recordings of various types. And all these types could now be easily shared. Um, this kind of sprang up an entire industry, basically of of uh, online media sharing. There's numerous sites, some of which are still in existence and are now legitimate, um, and some of which have kind of gone by the wayside as, uh, you know, kind of outdated technology. Um, but it was, it, it really became a big industry of, you know, online uh, music sharing, some of which was free peer-to-peer kind of st- uh, downloading, sending and downloading, and some of it was... Uh, it was paid, although the end user was paying less than they would have uh, for actual legitimate copies. Right. Which yeah, you, know, it's you, crazy. you can't you can't charge the same amount, you know, and expect to you know have any demand for it. Um, but there were still people out there that was selling uh, for profit digital media. <clears throat> crazy. Instead of album link collection or live recordings of entire shows, fans often now had the option of searching for and downloading bootlegs of individual songs. Um, so you weren't necessarily locked into an entire album if there was only one or two tracks that you really, really wanted. Artists gave a mixed reaction to bootleg sharing via the internet. Bob Dylan allowed fans to download archive recordings from his official website, while King Crimson's Robert Fripp and infamously Metallica were strongly critical of the ease in which Napster could circumvent the traditional channels of royalty payments. Um, and you know, it's not, I mean, it's no wonder why these, these guys would be, uh, you know, so against it. Cause that's, that's money directly out of their pocket, whether it was, um, unreleased audio or was actually commercially released audio. I mean, that's, that's money coming directly out of their revenue. Right. Absolutely. And it's kind of crazy just seeing how the pushback of bands and artists really kind of push security as well as um, more advanced technology to ensure that this kind of stuff is held accountable. Like, look where we're at now, where... I haven't even searched or even wanted to download bootleg music in years, man, in -hmm. years. Like ever since streaming platforms have become so uh, second nature and so prominent, like to stream music for a monthly subscription is so cheap that it just makes sense. But Mm -hmm. now the pushback is maybe not necessarily the bootlegging of music, but now that streaming is so cheap, artists aren't getting the payment they deserve because of the music being on that platform where you and I combined are paying 10 bucks a month for unlimited music, unlimited listens. Like that's a pretty good deal. And now, you know, artists are kind of looking at that where it's like, okay, well now maybe my music is actually being paid for, but just not enough. So Mm -hmm. it's getting kind of crazy how just because of bootleg music, it almost pushes the industry to the next level of 
distribution. Yeah, and it's, you know, for, say, a, a particular subscription costs a couple dollars a month. Well, you know, an artist could come out really ahead and, you know, if that if that song was, uh, you know, hardly ever listened to, but they still get that revenue from having it hosted on streaming sites. Or on the other side, a song could be really popular. They're still making the same revenue from that streaming site, but everybody's listening to it, whether it's people listening to it over and over by themselves, or they could be playing it for a whole group of their friends at a party or something like that. They get the artist is getting paid the same either way, no matter if nobody listens to it or everybody listens to it. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. And you know, we look in the past and you see how bootleg music has really pushed the industry to the next level of of security and uh, distribution, whether it be from the artists' ideas themselves or security in the music industry from cracking down on bootleg music at concerts or what have you. And, and it's kind of crazy. And kind of the, the cracking down on the unauthorized release of music from pressing plants here in the U.S. And then obviously people find ways to circumvent it but bootleg music i feel like has always been the bottom line of what is the music industry going to do next for the artists and the music and it's kind of cool to see that Mm -hmm. i mean even even looking at straight uh just digital downloads on a song by song basis i remember when uh in the very very early days of of itunes you know you could download a song copy it over to not a non-apple device um you know, kind of an off-brand MP3 player or copy it and store it in a on a flash drive somewhere or something. And now you have trouble doing that um, just because the, the audio itself is, um, it's, I don't necessarily want to say encrypted, but it, it is tagged as, you know, you cannot, it won't let you just right-click and copy and paste it somewhere else. Um, right. So it's kind of driven technology in that that way too as far as uh encryption technologies go that's so cool Mm -hmm. so the rise in popularity of video sharing site youtube has also caused uh it to be a major carrier of bootleg recordings youtube's owner google actually believes that under the safe harbor provision of the digital millennium copyright act or dmca for short it cannot be held responsible for content, allowing bootleg media to be hosted on it without fear of a lawsuit. Basically, this is saying like, hey, we're providing this service. You can't hold us accountable for what people do with this service. We are just, you know, it's a it's a platform that's out there that people can use how they want. As long as they're not breaking, you know, other laws. Right. And, and just, you know. just take a look at the amount of raw data of how many videos or audio files are uploaded every day. Like mm-hmm. There's no way that a place even as big as Google could police that to the extent needed to completely get rid of, of bootlegged audio through there. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you would pretty... I know they have their... Now, you know, this... What we're talking about here is kind of early 2000s, um, but even now there's... They have their algorithms and stuff, but to actually actually crack down on all of this, you pretty much have to have a staff that that's n- nothing but screening of uploaded videos. So you can upload your video, and uh, it would not actually be posted until someone has sat there and watched the entire thing. And that would be ridiculous right. because there's you know thousands of hours going up 
getting uploaded like right now, you know? Right. Right. And it would just be, it would be ridiculous to expect them to, to, uh, to view it all and double check it before it's actually uploaded. I know they've tried to put things in place over the years, um, you know, to, to monitor content, you know, in the algorithm, uh, you know, doing it that way. Um, but you know, that's not, that's not perfect either. So it's, it's ridiculous to think that they can actually monitor all of it. Right. Um, so as the technology to host videos is open and available, shutting down YouTube may simply mean the content migrates elsewhere. And you know, that's another point too. It's like, it's like, yeah, you could, you could put a 100% stop to it, but that's not going to stop it from being uploaded uh, another smaller site's going to get super popular with uploading it then it's right. going to get shut down then it's going to bump somewhere else and then that's going to get shut down it's it's not going to stop it absolutely yeah um an audience recording of one of david bowie's last concerts before we retired from touring in 2004 was uploaded to youtube and received it actually received a positive review in rolling stone um <laughs> I mean, that just kind of shows the level of acceptance. You know, it's like they uh, Rolling Stone understands that, you know, they, they can't really condemn it because it's there's nothing that can be done about it. Um, right. So it's might as well throw a positive review out there for something that deserves a positive review. If it was uh, the recording was good, the performance was good, audio was was spot on, you know, then why not throw a positive review out there? And at least it's some. Uh, it's some positive press for David Bowie, you know? So you kind of have right. to try to turn a negative into a positive. Right. And it's, it's so funny. This is like one of the last points of the show and it's almost coming full circle where in part one, uh, right when bootlegged audio is becoming really popular, the Rolling Stones had their bootlegged album back in 1970 and then the Rolling Stone also gave that a rave review saying saying it sounded awesome and probably one of the Rolling Stones best albums to date. So it's kind of crazy <laughs> to see that that full circle. Mhm. Yeah, and I think on the last show that's what we talked the exact point was made that it's like uh you know there's there's nothing we can do about it the the most we can do is try to promote the artist as much as possible and um if nothing else try to encourage good bootlegs not crappy ones <laughs> right right <laughs> uh, so if you're gonna do it you might as well do it good <laughs> um so to kind of round out the show a little bit more just a little bit more information on on youtube in 2010 youtube re- removed the 15 minute limit on videos which um I mean that that kind of was a cap for anything in general that was uploaded. Um, it 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 opened up YouTube creators um, to a lot of other possibilities um, besides the bootlegging side of things. Um, but in this particular con- uh, context, it allowed entire concerts to be uploaded by fans and bootleggers. Um, so that was just kind of a. It wasn't necessarily done specifically for this, um, but it was a, a side effect definitely seen um you know as a result of the 15 minute limit being taken away 
and and it's kind of neat to kind of see this in tandem too where we've seen the rise of like vivo content on youtube which is like a very well-known licensed high quality product that work with artists to release music videos as well as recordings of their live shows and so with that i feel like coupled with the prohibited um, statements made when you you'll purchase a ticket to a concert where it's like no film or audio um, recording or video mm-hmm. recording software is allowed in the venue. So then that's where the artists or you know whatever teams up with the professional production crew of Vivo to actually bring that content for free, but in a better light. And so then that way, you know the the artist's merchandise and product is actually in high quality. And obviously you can watch that entire show on YouTube for free, but in better quality instead of bootleggers where they're trying to film the entire thing in a crowd with live music on their iPhone. Like iPhones are good now, but not that good. So it's kind of cool how they're working in tandem now where it's like, if you can't beat them, join them, but let's make the best of it. So it's pretty cool. Right. And not, and not only that, not only are you, are you joining them, but you're kind of in a roundabout way. You're, you're kind of squashing the market for something like that. And I'll say market, you know, no one's, the people that are doing this on YouTube aren't really making a profit off of it, but you know, if if an artist is putting out a high quality, whether it's audio or video recording out there, you know, what what incentive is there for someone to upload and then somebody else to watch a crappy recording with a smartphone? Uh-huh. You know, and so it's yeah, artists probably would prefer that it's not out there at all, but you know, if you're gonna do it, you might as well put it out there and deter everyone else from doing it on the side right right and i think that's what they're doing and and it's really helping because you can do your own advertising in it do whatever you want right and heck if i see vivo down in the corner for a youtube video when i'm trying to watch you know a live show of the 1975 i'm obviously going to choose that other than the uh snow smasher 86 54 (laughs) uploaded a new video you know like no i'm gonna watch the the official one (laughs) Uh, I love it. Cool. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> so that rounds out uh, the bootlegged audio part two. This is episode 68. Thank you so much for joining us as always. If you have a question for us, you want to be a show uh, star. Sorry, I was like, you want to be a star on the show. Give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. Let us know what you want. If you have any other specific show topics, let us know. As well, you can find us on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Cast box, squeaker box, uh, shoe box, anywhere that you get your favorite <laughs> podcast, you can find us there. Give us a five star review and let us know what you like about the show down in the comments. Please take about 30 seconds to write us a kind of view. We like hearing from you. Anything else, big guy? No, I think that was a good round out to a, uh, a part two of a show. Um, I think that was a pretty interesting topic that we came up with the last two weeks, something kind of out of our our norm for shows and it was kind of a just a refreshing change absolutely i love it can't wait i've got some more ideas i want to run by you for future shows so we'll talk about that later but as we always say here on the fabulous most outstandingly delicious show young nostalgia keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full we'll talk to you next week (laughs) 